Hello, this is Brad Redderson, and welcome to Spernova's Interview Series, an audio program exploring the intersection between cutting-edge business strategies and the innovations that can ignite business growth. It's one of several podcast series on the subject of strategic innovation in business offered by Stranova, a resource group dedicated to helping you achieve and capitalize on the incredible potential available for your own business. With our over 30 years of experience leading innovation, we know what it takes to turn ideas into profits. Please visit us to learn more at www.stranova.com. And now, please join us for this week's episode of Stranova's Interview Series. On this episode of Stranova, we're going to take you on an unusual journey, not to a new country or even to an interview with a current business innovator, but instead one where time, not distance, is the medium we are traveling within. For this very special installment of our interview series, we are going to introduce you to the beginning of a new podcast series from Stranova entitled Voices from 2020, where you are to be transported from present day to the year 2020. With the same Stranova perspective on the intersection of strategy and innovation, your hosts Bill Veltrop and Firehawk will host conversations with futurists and innovators set in the year 2020, as of this recording some 14 years in the future, to a time where business has been transformed in radical ways. Leaders in all walks of life operate on a far more holistic and systemic level than ever before, and even the whole concept of leadership has been raised to an entirely new level. There is even something called the Infinite Games that will be taking place in the fall of 2020 that will take the concept of strategic innovation well beyond anything we've seen before. But rather than have me tell you about it, I'd much rather have the hosts for the new series tell you about it themselves. They join me in the year 2020 on Coyote Ridge in Boulder Creek near the Northern California coast to tell us all about it. As our listeners hear this, we want to let you know that this is July 6, 2020, and I have the honor today to speak with the two people who really are responsible for the upcoming Infinite Games event. One is Bill Veltrop, and one is Firehawk, and I actually sat down with them back in the year 2006 for the very first time when the whole concept of Infinite Games was being birthed at this very same place. And so it's wonderful to be here. We're overlooking the Santa Cruz Mountain Valley at Coyote Ridge in Boulder Creek in Northern California. And our guests may actually not even realize a lot of how these two made it possible for this event to happen. So maybe it's an introductory question that I could ask both of you. Can you tell us a little bit about Infinite Games and where that concept originally started? I'm Bill. Bill Veltra. And the concept had its roots with a book that was written by James Carse, Finite and Infinite Games. And I want to read a quote or two from the book. He says there are at least two kinds of games. One could be called finite and the other infinite. The finite game is played for the purpose of winning, like football, baseball, in most corporations. An infinite game for the purpose of continuing the play, like evolution or family or nature. Finite players play within boundaries. 
infinite players play with boundaries. So a couple of examples of infinite players would be like Gandhi or uh, Martin Luther King. An example of infinite games would be our evolutionary journey to date. So if you think about it, we have experienced on this planet some 3,700,000 millennia of evolution. So that's an infinite game. Well, Carse in his book triggered our thinking in terms of what's the relevance of the contrast between finite and infinite games for this planet. And so it is that inquiry, and especially looking at the nature of our organizations, which turn out to be almost entirely based upon finite game rules, that got us into the infinite game business. And what I would say is that there's a certain amount of excitement that you get from playing a finite game and winning, and a certain amount of despair that you get from losing. And what attracted me to the infinite games was the notion of playing a game where the whole objective was the continuing of the game. So playing so that things continue and that you could bring as many people as possible into the game. So it's a very inviting and inclusive idea. And as I thought about what we needed for there to be balance again, in our human experience, I saw that a lot of what got in the way was the finite quality of a lot of the games that we were playing. The way in which uh, more and more people were losing in various ways all over the planet. And so what if we changed the designing of games so that the whole objective was to get more and more people to play and to get more and more players to play infinitely? Well, when you talk about players too, I know that a major part of the concept is this whole idea of entrepreneurial spirit involved and we are talking about every aspect of our sociological world. So we are talking about business, we are talking about government, we are talking about individual and personal life, that all are part of these, these infinite players here. How does that all play together between, I guess, when you talk about the idea of finite players of the past and trying to move and shift us all to thinking of ourselves and actually acting as infinite players. How do each of these realms actually manifest and how have they changed in the time since, since 2006? Let me go back and speak a little bit to what it was that got us into thinking about infinite games. I've spent some, oh, the last 35 years focusing on organizational change, organizational transformation, so both within large corporations and outside, and have become increasingly convinced that the state of our planet in terms of global warming, in terms of the poverty, in terms of pollution, the quality of air, etc., etc., is a consequence of, of how our organizations are designed as finite games with a very limited definition of success. And so back in 2006, it was becoming increasingly clear that we as a species, as a society, were at a decision point. 
And if you remember back in those days, to me it seems like it was just yesterday, but if you remember Al Gore's An Inconvenient Truth, he did a tremendous job of describing global warming. Well, there was a lot going on back in 2006 describing sort of the accelerating movement toward global crises. And what we focused on is what really needs to shift. And what really needs to shift is how we design our organizations, our organizing forms. And they weren't designed back then for wholeness. They weren't designed for life. They were designed for mainly keeping people in power or for generating money for a limited number of people. So we began to look at what would it take to support the shifting of our organizations. And we see that has always been the venue, if you will, of entrepreneurs. And so if you look at all of the major shifts that we have made as a people from the agrarian age to the industrial age to the information age, they've been entrepreneurially driven. And so we began to look at at the concept of entrepreneurs for wholeness. We were convinced back at that time that we could find ways to stimulate and attract and cast the net for these entrepreneurs for wholeness, these infinite players. So was the original genesis of this about environmental issues or was it about the idea that business was thinking too narrowly, such as even now people probably don't remember, but we had all the scandals in the early 2000s where corporation after corporation it was discovered had manipulated financial statements or whatever simply to make the stock price go up and of course take care of the upper tiers of the organization as opposed to really benefiting mankind. It was definitely a very narrow focus. Hmm. Uh, That's a business issue. It came not just from one of those places. I've been an entrepreneur all my life. I started my first business right out of college and have been self-employed ever since. So I've had a number of businesses that I've started. So always had a love for business and enjoyed the game of business. There was also an increasing awareness for both of us and for many of our friends and for many more people on the planet about the need for a change in the way we related to the environment so that there was uh, more of a taking it into account in our business life as a part of life overall. But then both of us also did quite a lot of very different but very complementary work on ourselves, work on our, our own spiritual path, work on our own selves as, as growing and evolving human beings. And so the intersection of all of those brought us to the place where we understood the power of design in any one of these regions. If you design a business for certain things, you can get certain things from it, and we've known that. But the designs that we've used for businesses have been limited to certain kinds of measures of success. And we saw the need for a much broader design. The same with environmental work, you know, accounting for all of the factors in any given business that it uses for itself, not just not accounting for the environmental things that the environment gives to us as a part of doing business, as a part of living. And then also the recognition that 
the only way that we'd been able to transform ourselves was to basically go on a learning journey of our own spirit, of our own uh, development, and to put our feet in the place where our minds were and actually change the choices that we made. So it was really a coming together of all of those elements for us that said, we sense, because we know we're not that unique, that there are many other players out there that have been having similar experiences, that perhaps have a deep love for business or deep love for the environment, or a real knowing that we can organize ourselves socially in very different ways. And that there's a hunger or a yearning for transformation, but not any real clear maps of how would you do that. And what we've learned is that when you bring those kind of players together, then all kinds of things can emerge that you can't imagine in linear cognitive thinking because of the interaction and the connection between those players and the different experiences, much the way our conversations have been very wide-ranging and you know very, very fun and playful about many, many, many different things because of the experience of who each of us are. We looked at nature and we looked at how elegant nature is in its design. You can look at a cell, you can look at a plant, you can look at an animal, you can look at an ecosystem. And there's incredible elegance in the design, incredible efficiency, incredible effectiveness, incredible respect for wholeness, incredible co cooperation. And what we saw back in 2006 was the need for a metamorphosis of our organizations. And so we were beginning to play back then. And your, your offer to sponsor the podcast series that we did, the 2020 podcast series, uh, did some important things in terms of triggering our imagination. And at that time, we wanted to begin to reach out to uh, infinite players, to these entrepreneurs for wholeness, and to begin to connect with them. And, and there's a, a story that I'd like Firehawk mm. to read to you about imaginal cells that helps to describe what we were hoping to trigger back at that time. Now, this is a story that's adapted from evolutionary biology, and uh, this version of it's by a woman called Nori Huddle. It's called the imaginal cell story. The caterpillar's new cells are called imaginal cells. They are so totally different from the caterpillar cells that his immune system thinks they're enemies and gobbles them up. But these new imaginal cells continue to appear, more and more of them. Pretty soon, the caterpillar's immune system cannot destroy them fast enough. More and more of the imaginal cells survive. And then an amazing thing happens. The little tiny, lonely, imaginal cells start to clump together into friendly little groups. They all resonate together at the same frequency, passing information from one to the other. Then after a while, another amazing thing happens. The clumps of imaginal cells start to cluster together. A long string of clumping and clustering imaginal cells, all resonating at the same frequency, all passing information from one to another 
there inside the chrysalis. Then, at some point, the entire long string of imaginal cells suddenly realizes altogether that it is something different from the caterpillar, something new, something wonderful. And in that realization is the shout of the birth of the butterfly. Since the butterfly now knows that it is a butterfly, the little tiny imaginal cells no longer have to do all those things individual cells must do. Now they are part of a multi-cell organism, a family who can share the work. Each new butterfly cell can take on a different job. There's something for everyone to do, and everyone is important. And each cell begins to do just the very thing that it's most drawn to do. And every other cell encourages it to do just that. A great way to organize a butterfly. It's a great metaphor for transformation actually that's happened since 2006 in a lot of different ways in that businesses, although they may have claimed they were part of a world they needed to pay attention to, they were still very narrowly focused. And just as John Dunn said back in, I think it was the 1600s or whatever, with the No Man is an Island, I called attention to it actually in my old podcast series, that no business is an island either. And it's not just that you need to be cognizant of your surroundings, you literally have an easier time of life if you actually can rely on the interconnection with the rest of the world. And it's very hard, actually, when you think of the year 2020, looking back on 2006, to try to remember what it was like back then, that just as the phrase infinite players is very common now, and it was not then, even the idea of finite players, even though we recognized them, was there, it just wasn't that common. It's hard to imagine that all this has really changed in all that time, and both of you definitely very much responsible for at least triggering the the imaginal cell creation, I guess, that caused that to occur. Curious about if we take this kind of to the next stage here of how you see the call to have people consider becoming infinite players that you actually called for back in 2006. How did that really come about and, and how has that evolved since mm -hmm. that time in, in all walks of life? As I mentioned earlier, your podcast was a big help. It was really the first time that we went public in a serious way. In addition to the podcast series back then, the 2020 podcast, we had a website called theinfinitegames.org. And Firehawk and I at that time were beginning to write an ebook entitled Bay Area 2020, An Infinite Game. And so that ebook, which is, you know, very, very familiar to everybody now, was something of an ongoing, evolving story of how we have helped to trigger and catalyze a movement toward wholeness in the San Francisco Bay Area. So the combination of that ebook and the podcasts, and then for the first time, are reaching out to our respective networks. And even back then, you could make a ripple around the world, especially connecting with these imaginal souls, pretty rapidly. And so it was within our first 12-month series of these 2020 podcasts 
that there was very, very substantial movement in terms of attracting these infinite players because they existed back then in every organization. They existed in every domain. They existed in every geography. But generally, they were pretty much contained or trapped within their particular systems or within their beliefs about what they could make happen in the world. And so just by going public and having some language around the work that needed to be done resulted in a very, very rapid response. Well, and you also called for the entrepreneurial spirit. Yes, there was a strong movement about thinking of our lives as part of a whole system anyway. You mentioned an inconvenient truth that had come out. Certainly the global warming thing that we are still dealing with right now, obviously very much part of life, was a major driver. There were people cognizant of shortages of water, shortages of oil, shortages of other things that were out there. And yet at the same time, the framing that I recall that you had at the time which in the Silicon Valley area in particular was definitely a wonderful call to arms was, was another key to this as well, is that you weren't just saying to us as individuals, I want you to broaden from being more finitely focused to being infinitely focused and think of yourself as part of an overall universal system, but you were also calling on that entrepreneurial spirit, not just in quote unquote environmental or regional or that sort of thing, but literally in every aspect of life. Mm -hmm to change and this was a great call to arms of course it spread worldwide during that time but I, I definitely see a lot of that as being a key I don't know if you want to comment on that one of the elements of that that was very energizing and created a lot of entrepreneurial opportunity was just the notion that there was so much to be done in the realm of eliminating waste from all of our systems not just the physical waste of packaging and all this other stuff that didn't make any sense environmentally, but the human waste. You know, we were spending more money building prisons back then. You know, it was the biggest growth industry contributing the most to our GNP, you know, which tells you something about the way that we were looking at the whole system. And so there were great, great fortunes made in this realm of taking the waste out and then replacing it with a very different way of thinking and, and acting that didn't generate, you know, waste equals food was one of the, the phrases that William McDonough came up with in his work back in the early 2000s. You know, we found all kinds of ways for that to show up at being a, a real business that people were doing in the world. That added fuel to the whole entrepreneurial activity, you know, that we were a part of ourselves and that we wanted to help catalyze and spark in others. Yeah, I remember actually back in 2007, there was a film that came out from Pixar called Ratatouille that I remember a line even now, it's a long time ago obviously, but it was still hilarious then and it showed this one rat running around who had been picking garbage up off the floor and he said, you know, once you get past the gag reflex, it's amazing what's available to you in terms of food. <laughs> I think about this in terms of the waste issue is that you realize that the things that we thought of as throwaway mm. in a very serious sense are a boon that mm. we don't need to throw away anymore. It's not just about becoming efficient, it's recognizing the value yes. mm -hmm. in all of this. And I would even extend that to the issue of, of people as well. And you know, like mm -hmm. Bill, you were celebrating your 90th year mm. this year 
on the planet, which I think is the new 70, as a matter of fact, <laughs> right now, at least based on looking at you. And it is indeed something where, even from a people standpoint, we're recognizing not just the value of elders, which would say goes back to another time, but also the value of every individual to make a difference, whether they are the captain of a corporation or they are the individual on the street that is taking care of their own personal garden. I, I would like to shift a little bit to the Infinite Games 2020, 2020 event that is coming up mm. in October this year, and maybe have each of you tell a little bit about what that is about and some of the things that you see maybe happening there. Well, a lot of it's your fault. Yes. <laughs> But I don't mean to be blameful of you, Brad. But it, one of the things you triggered in us when we first had the conversation about uh, sort of tapping in, joining with you in your podcast series, uh, Stranova, which had, you know, been really interesting because I'd seen it from the beginning, you know, when you were first talking about the idea and seeing how that started to manifest and pick up energy and enthusiasm. You know, the ability that suddenly became available to us technologically to be able to reach out and touch the world and, you know, and do it regularly. And, you know, you became a production house with, you know, without the overhead that there used to be in being production house. And, and so we had this focus because there's a wonderful couple, Newton and Helen Harrison, that started a a movement to create some of their incredible conceptual environmental art about the Bay Area. This was back in 2005 that they had this idea and they ended up getting funding and creating this beautiful exhibit that traveled all over the Bay Area and then was seen in other all parts of the all over the California and all other parts of the world. But it was a looking at the Bay Area through much larger eyes of, of what is this whole region about. And they chose the watersheds and the mountains and the ocean to draw a much larger circle around the Bay Area rather than just the nine counties. And through this beautiful exhibit, this beautiful artwork, they catalyzed the conversation about the Bay Area and what this region could be. We had been involved in the early discussions about this, and we saw that this kind of artwork, this kind of trigger for conversation, could be wonderful to piggyback on and to have the kind of conversations we wanted to have about infinite play and about infinite games in the Bay Area. And so we started this notion, and then you came in with a podcast, and we said, oh, well, of course, there should be 2020 Infinite Games, and the Bay Area should be the host of the first Infinite Games that are on the planet, and they should be as big a deal as the Olympic Games, or perhaps even a bigger deal. And they should bring together people from different regions of the planet or collaborations that are happening across the planet, and to create this incredible interactive celebration, really, of wholeness, of the, the human spirit, of the entrepreneurial activity that's creating more and more wholeness around the world. It's, uh, it's difficult to imagine our thinking back in 2006 because the work on the 2020 Infinite Games has been cooking for a number of years now. And I just want to acknowledge the role that you had in, you know, in inspiring that because prior to your offer to host us with the podcast, we didn't have this 
concept. And the concept has grown very large and it will have an impact that's more far-reaching than the Olympic Games ever had. What made it possible to have that big an impact, of course, is the tremendous breakthroughs in technology and connectivity. And you've been very much engaged in, you know, in that realm and, and have contributed to shaping the games. I'm very excited about being able to witness it and to witness the global connectivity. There will be a lot going on physically in the Bay Area, but what will be most exciting is to see all of the regions on our planet connected together in a way that we are honoring the entrepreneurial movement toward wholeness in each of those regions. The, the notion that really Helen and Newton Harrison triggered in us is thinking in terms of a bioregion. And we were looking at the Bay Area watershed, which is almost half of California, and a good chunk of the Pacific Ocean. But then when you look at the socio-bioregion and you look at the, the particular uniqueness we have as a mix of cultures in the Bay Area, we begin to think more regionally and to think that if we're to make the evolutionary shift from sliding down the curve to global destruction and really turn the curve upward, this, things need to happen at a regional level. And so the 2020 Infinite Games have been a North Star for us, a magnetic attractor to challenge regions throughout the planet to more intentionally move toward wholeness. And back in 2006, there was no organizations that were felt capable of doing that. The governments weren't organized that way. Corporations, as you mentioned earlier, were focused primarily on profits and short term. So this notion of moving toward the 2020 Infinite Games resulted in the growth of infrastructure that transcended existing institutions. And so the 2020 Infinite Games will witness a connectivity around the globe where we all get to see what's happening in each of these regions in movement toward wholeness, toward serving all of life. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how subtle the changes have been since that time. A lot of people probably don't even remember that back in 2006, companies still reported in the stock market their quarterly earnings projections. And yet it was realized that that was so narrowing, it was in effect a finite game. It was mm -hmm. trapping them mm -hmm. into something where they were constantly dealing with the next couple of months. Because the idea of finite space is not just physical space, right. but it's also time as well. When you start to say, I, I need to do such and such by a certain time. Obviously, we need to all do certain things by temporal events you know, in order to be able to achieve what we need to achieve. However this was an artificial construct and it's an example of a change. Now, part of what I understand may be happening at these games coming up in, in the fall is that you will have announcements, collaborations, uh, spontaneous events that literally involve collaborations from all over the world, business leaders, artists, musicians, whatever, that are really coming together 
in the spirit of collaboration and we could see some pretty amazing things coming to pass. You probably can't spill too much, but I'm curious about what might what we might be looking forward to. Well, I, I think one of the things that we'll see is some ideas that we haven't seen before. I mean, one of the things that entrepreneurs love to do is innovate, you know, is to come up with the connections or the ideas or the next evolution of what it is that we could be doing in a given territory or given part of the world. And, you know, entrepreneurs for wholeness, you know, it's almost as uh, the same kind of disciplines required as in the old samurai or in it, you know, in the, in medicine people in the old Native American traditions, you know, you, you, re, you need to be able to see the whole field. And out of that, allow the incredible creativity to emerge so that things are created that spawn more and more wholeness. So we'll see, I think, some introductions of ideas, of collaborations, of possibilities at the Infinite Games that will ripple out from there for the years to come. We know that you'll see some things that will amaze you, as will all of your audience. There will be the announcements that are surprises, definitely. The reality is that there's been tremendous collaboration that's been happening within regions where you have collaboration among uh, people who are at the cutting edge of environmental design, at the cutting edge of social design, at the cutting edge of technological design, in transformational design. They've been preparing for this event in a way that lets each region tell its unique story of its movement toward wholeness. What's going to be powerful in October will be the Gestalt experience, hmm. the, the opportunity for people to plug into and experience this globe. So it's, it's a little bit like the first shot of the Earth from outer space, How, what an impact that had on, on everyone. This is going to be something that we all get to experience together. That's actually a very great vision to consider, too, as we kind of get near the close, that part of what is going to be happening is that we all will have the opportunity to participate in the Infinite Games, if, even if we aren't physically present in one of the multinational locations where you are simultaneously bringing this together, with the Bay Area being the anchor point, I guess, mm -hmm. of sorts for them. So, I do think one of the calls to the audience here is to let you know that there is a lot more that's going to be coming out on this, and Firehawk and Bill Veltrup are actually going to be your hosts on this journey during the coming months, and invite you to listen in as they tell you a little bit about it. They'll bring in some interesting people to share some views and perspectives from the year 2020 on what all has happened since the year 2006 and making the Infinite Games event possible and changing us all from finite players to becoming infinite players. I wondered if either of you had anything you might want to have as maybe some closing comments before we end this particular podcast. Any ideas or comments? You heard Bill speak the words transformational design and I wanted to just underscore what evolved out of the turn of the century and 2006 and what has really fueled this change that we're going to see one of the forms of manifestation being the infinite games in a few months was understanding that you can design for life 
that you can design for things to transform themselves to greater and greater levels of wholeness. We humans can understand nature's design and not only mimic it, but we can participate with nature in design of our systems, of our social systems, of our organizations, of the way that we are with each other and with all of life. What I'm grateful for is the recognition of that field much earlier, some you know, 20 years ago, of transformational design very different from just the human potential movement, but a much more conscious application of design principles to the whole realm of transformation so that our systems could go through the changes they have to go through without having to go to war and destroy things in order to have things transform. So that's something that I wanted to say. The term, the distinction infinite player, is very, very common now and the upcoming 2020 Infinite Games, of course, is making it even more visible to the planet. But back in 2006, not too many people thought of themselves as infinite players. And the reality is we all have an inner infinite player. And what we discovered back then was that there were countless individuals in different domains that were game-ready infinite players. And what I want to say now is to invite them to step forward that there is what what we've been experiencing for many years even before 2006 is the power of connecting with people with other infinite players who are interested in the design and the metamorphosis of our systems so it would be to reach out and connect well that's a wonderful close for our conversation today encourage our audience to take a look at their website. It's theinfinitegames.org. Mm -hmm. If you want to learn a little bit more about what this adventure is all about, and I wanted to thank our two infinite players themselves, Bill Voltrop and Firehawk, for joining us for this episode of Chernova. Thank you very, very much. 2020. It seems so far away now that you've listened to what our guests from the future have described of all that has happened in the 14 years between now and then. Our so-called finite and limiting games of business and planning have expanded so that infinite games have replaced them. The imaginal cells that, like those within the caterpillar that have no choice other than to cause the butterfly to burst forth with its splendor and magnificence, apparently also will come forth in all of us. How will it change us, and in what ways? It's up to you to imagine, and to turn from fantasy to reality as your own future years unfold. Our new podcast series exploring this futuristic vision, a sort of reflection on the possibilities of the present through the perspective of the future, is launching officially one month from the date of this original recording in early September 2006. Please join me in welcoming it and our host for this new series, Bill Veltrop and Firehawk, and what we hope will be a truly inspiring and strategically innovative journey for all our listeners. That's our show for this week, and thanks for listening. We thank you for joining us for this episode of Stranova's podcast series. If you'd like to learn more about Stranova's business services and the topics discussed in this week's episode, please visit us at www.stranova.com or write us at ideas at stranova.com. Our program materials are copyrighted 2006 by Brad Redderson. And this is Brad Redderson inviting you to join us soon for a future audio program exploring where strategy and innovation intersect in business.